Let's do that hockey. Welcome to Dabber Prospects Report. This is report number 41. I'm Victor Nuno, one of the co-hosts here. And with me, as always, is Peter Harling. How you doing, Pete? Hey, El Nuno. I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm always good. How about you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. The It's going pretty well in terms of the you know, new year. And, you know, I don't usually pay too much attention to football, but it is kind of football playoff season now. And my Niners have the week off. So, you know, it's fun watching everyone else kind of bite their fingernails and all that while I get to sit back and just wait. You watching any? It was my understanding there would be no football on this podcast. It's strictly hockey, right? It was my understanding that there would be no math. <laughs> it's winter up here now in Canada. Winter has has arrived with with authority. It's very, very wintry in my neck of the woods. So I'm a little bit jealous that you don't have to deal with any of that snow shoveling nonsense and starting your car 10 minutes early so that you can get into it. Yeah, man, I do not. And I did do that for a few years when I lived in Michigan and New York. I'm very happy yeah. to not have to deal with that anymore, though. Need a roommate? Good on roommates right now. But <laughs> all right. Well, less less football, less weather, more hockey talk. Let's get let's get into this episode, shall we? Yeah. And in this episode, we're gonna talk about some midseason strategy. And also you and I both contributed to the midseason guide through Dauber that's out. And so we'll talk about some of that and definitely encourage everyone to get that midseason guide. It's a great product through Dauber. And so we'll we'll be talking a little bit about that. But before we get started, we want to remind you that Dauber Prospects Report is a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. Very excited to be part of the Army of Fantastic Hockey Podcasts. Please check out at HockeyPotNed for all the shows like this one, talking hockey from fantasy to team coverage to you name it. And you can also the DraftKings promo code THPN for listening to the show. More on that in a bit. The Dauber Prospects Report show is also proudly sponsored by Fantrax which is the ultimate league manager for any dynasty sport you play, completely customizable for however you want to set up your league from scoring categories, an amazing draft room, post the draft, draft pick trading, and a treasury option with so, so much more. Use our promo code to sign up for a free league using the link fantrax.com forward slash DPR show. And with that, Pete, we were going to talk a little midseason strategy. You know, it's kind of getting close to the fantasy hockey playoffs. And at this point, you pretty much know who you are. You know, you should know who your team is and whether you're in it or whether you're not. So let's talk about some strategies. You want to go first or you want me to hit it? Yeah, sure. So you're right. At this point in the season, you, whatever your expectations were going in, they they might have changed or you might have been right on the money. You're, you're a contender or your, your rebuild continues. Whatever ship you're in there with the win now or win later vessel, it's time to trade deadlines are coming up, it's time to start making some decisions about how you want to leverage your position, regardless of which way that's that's going. So, you know, I think this is the trade season for fantasy hockey is 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 now it's kind of hot now. So here's an opportunity to really put your hands around the neck of a of a championship and, and get a good grasp on that or or reload your the chamber, put a few more bullets in with some draft picks and uh, and have some some fun at the at the draft in the summer. But I think for for whatever direction you're going in, I think it's important to have a goal. You're winning or you're tanking. And whichever direction you're going, kind of go like more all in than than just a little bit, right? I listened to some Merrick's podcast and he had a really good quote from some guy, I don't remember who, but it was like if you're going to miss heaven, don't miss it by like 2 seconds. Like there's nothing worse than being the ninth team in your league when eight make the playoffs. That just sucks because you get the worst draft pick and you're not even in the playoffs or squeaking in the playoffs and just getting obliterated in the first round. I mean, it's not like you're selling tickets to your fans and you don't you know, get playoff ticket revenue as the owner of the team. So if you're going to be in it, have a legitimate chance of going all the way. And if you're not going to be in it, then you know have a le legitimate chance at the draft, have good draft picks. So that's my first thought on on mid-season strategy, Victor. How about you? Yeah, I think we're kind of in line there. I think my my take is to really have an honest assessment. You know, sometimes you can't just look at your record. All your record matters, you know? Like, if you're solidly in a playoff position, even though you've gotten lucky when a few matchups, then it doesn't really matter, right? But 
if you have, you know, three, four matchups to go, whatever the case may be, maybe more, and your team is underperforming, but has some, you know, potentially some good variants coming this way. Maybe some guys were injured. Maybe some guys were underperforming, but now they're doing better. They're heating up and it, and it's trending in the right direction. Then, you know, you might want to push some chips in and go for it, even if you're out of a playoff spot. If it's the other way and, you know, you have like the top four teams to play and you have four matchups left and you've been getting really lucky and you're clinging to a playoff spot, well, things are probably not going to go your way in that situation, right? So be really honest. And like Pete said, go all in one way or the other. Don't just kind of, you know, leave it up to chance. I mean, it's possible that you might want to hang on to some assets if they're, you know, just not quite all the way developed. Then, you know, maybe you don't make too much of a splash. That's understandable. But for the most part, you want to kind of get as much as you can for declining assets if you're if it's not your year and and if it is your year then you know don't be afraid to trade a prospect i think one thing that we often do pete i know i've been guilty of it a lot of people who like prospects probably have been is you get enamored with the prospects and the upside and you have to be realistic and say okay i really like this guy but you know it's possible or even likely that he's just going to be kind of a middle six winger you know and then what is the real upside there like if he fully hits most of his potential where is he going to sit on your team and maybe that's a guy that you just need to trade you know as opposed to hanging on to him and hoping that he becomes more right yeah for sure i mean i guess what makes it hard to trade guys that you you're really enamored with and have a high upside is if you trade them for a rental player even if that even if that gets you a championship and then that that prospect you traded away goes on to blossom and become something phenomenal and you traded him away for a rental player. Yeah, you know, the guy that, you know, four years later, the prospect you traded is is a is an all star in, in the game. And the guy you you got in return is retired. Or is dead cap space or dead roster space. It, it It's a. It's a bitter pill to swallow, but it's a lot easier if you've got a championship in your back pocket. Something else that you mentioned in there that is a good point that I wanted to touch on is take a look at your schedule for the remainder of the season, too, regardless of what side of the coin you're on and, and look at what your competition is. Um, I think that's that's important to, to read the roadmap for what's left in the season and factor that into your strategy. If you're if you're going for it. Do you have a clear path to the playoffs where you'll be one of the higher seeded teams and you'll at least have a deep run? And maybe there's an upset one week where one of the lower seeded teams knocks out the guy you're worried about just based on one week's fluke stats from, from a particular couple of players that that guy had. Or are you looking at tanking and you're going into the final bit of the season and you're playing all the bottom feeders in the league that you might actually get some wins against? That's, that's a strategy to keep in mind too. And and with that, what ties in with that is you can try and, and make trades that load up your opposition, which should improve your own draft status by having lower seeded teams move ahead of you in the standings. I've done that a couple of times and it's worked. I've traded good players who I didn't really want long term anyways for, for futures to my competition for a lower draft pick. And we ended up swapping places and seedings by the end of the season. So that's something that you could maybe keep in mind too. And I guess my next point, Victor, would be is to leverage your strengths and assets. This should sort of go without saying, right? But if your asset, if you're if you're tanking is cap space, then then use that. Find a team that is is a winner and is right up against it and needs cap space. And you say, well, I'll take your your underperforming player, Dylan Dubé, for example, but it's going to cost you one of your prospects or a draft pick. And I'll even throw in a roster player that's valuable to you. I'll get rid of that dead space or that dead cap, but you got to make it worth my while. So you can leverage space that way. Or if, or if you're a contender, then draft picks would be your, your, your leverage, right? You trade your draft picks away and not take anything away from your roster to, to bolster your chances, fix your prospects. Any thoughts on, on, on that? Yeah, for sure. I think, so many people and so many teams, especially in cap leagues. I mean, not everybody plays in cap leagues, but when you do, so many teams I see will just acquire an asset, like, especially if they have cap space. They, oh, I have space. I'll take, you know, whomever, like Anders Lee, because he's doing a little something. It's like, yeah, that's 
I mean, no matter how you cut it, that is not a good value per dollar ad. And so sometimes teams will just fill up on dead cap space because they have it. And then and then you don't. And then you can't leverage it. You can't leverage it to take on assets. You can't leverage it to make ads that, that you need maybe at the at the at the you know time in, in the playoffs or whatever the case may be. So absolutely you need to leverage that cap space or picks or whatever the case may be. And I've seen some people do a lot of things. This kind of goes with my next one, which is no fear. You just got to go for it. Sometimes what you got to do is create a market. You know, like I've seen people say, and I've done this before. This player is not going to be on my team in 48 hours. Who wants them? You know, just to just make a market for it. Like I am going to move this guy. He's going to be gone. I'm going to accept the next offer or not the next offer, but the best offer that I get in a relative short period of time. Right. So you're setting that expectation and you, you know, obviously you got to follow through on it, but you can't just necessarily wait forever. That's that's one strategy. You can also just, you know, kind of wait for the timing to be right, especially if there are a bunch of teams. If you're not in it, if there's a bunch of teams competing for, you know, the top assets, then you can then you have a market there. But sometimes, you know, you just got to you got to be bold. And and that, I think, goes along with sometimes you actually have to trade some of the players you like more than the ones you like less and to get a better return. You know, sometimes even though you might like this player, you might want to keep him, but he's worth more as a trade asset right now. And, you know, especially if you have a couple of options, you might, you might just be okay with, you know, moving on from that. So I think it's important to detach yourself a little bit from, you know, the players and kind of look at the bigger picture and just kind of see if, if you can get something better than, even from someone that you like a little bit more, I often will do that. I'll have three or four options of guys I want to trade. And obviously you would rather trade the worst prospect for the best return, but that isn't always possible, right? Like that's, that's make-believe land. So sometimes you have to move the middle guy or the guy you like the best to get the absolute best return. And then you never know that second or third guy may surprise you. And then you end up better, better off for it. Right. You got to give to get. Yeah. My, my other point i guess would be if you're tanking and you're loading up on draft picks that's great it's super fun i kind of enjoy that a lot actually in fantasy hockey but i've seen guys do that and then not show up prepared for the draft and just draft off like auto draft and get the next player that's that's available from the nhl draft list and it it's it blows my mind that guys do that that they trade away known NHL players and assets for draft picks. And then when the draft comes, they totally, they totally blow it and they, they pick terrible picks or they auto draft or whatever. And it's like, man, if you're, if you're going to trade it up and get draft picks, that's only useful if you do your homework and you like, you listen to this podcast, you get die by the, the draft guide and understand how to use your draft picks. Don't be the guy that shows up at the draft unprepared. Amen. I think my my last one is just get the value you deserve. As we're recording this, I'm I'm got the Carolina Hurricanes game in the background. And I think you can be a little Don Waddellish in your assessment because you know the one thing, like it or not, that the Carolina Hurricanes always do is they they assign a value to a player and they stick to that. And they won't pay him a dime more than they think he's worth. And I think that's good. That should go true for your assessments. If you think that your prospect is is worth, you know, whatever, a top line player or a first round pick or whatever, then you got to stick to your guns and say, no, this is what I want for this player. And you and you can wait until, you know, obviously when the trade deadline comes, that's a different story. You can't wait any longer. But a lot of times I see people kind of panic, you know, in January or, you know, before the trade deadline and they'll they'll you know, maybe accept something a little bit less because they're worried that the top, I mean, it is true that the top teams are going to run out of assets eventually to give you back. So there can be a little bit of a rush at times, but you know, there's nothing saying you have to trade that player, you know, I mean, unless, unless it's somebody who is literally like not going to play next year, which I don't know who we know that isn't going to be. We've been saying that for Joe Pavelski for how many years now? (laughs) He still keeps being good. So you don't really know if someone's not going to play. So you could just hold them until until you get the value you need, you think he deserves or 
maybe you just don't trade him. You know, I mean, that's always possible too. And then you can have him for next year. So just don't sell low. Don't sell for less than what you think that player deserves, I think is my point. Yeah, I'll, I'll expand on that and totally agree. Because if you're listening to this, you're in Dynasty Leagues. You're with the same owners that you're competing and trading with year after year. And if you have a player that you say is available and they offer you, you know, magic beans for them and you wait and wait and wait and then take the magic beans, then you've set a precedent that you're a pushover in trade negotiations. And next year, guess what? All you're going to get offered again is magic beans because they'll, they'll know that if they, they wait you out, they can, they'll get what they want eventually and, and they'll exploit you. Whereas if you wait and wait and say, no, I'm sorry, your, your magic beans just aren't going to cut it. I need actual cash. And then the trade deadline comes and goes, then you've set a precedent that you're not a pushover, right? That what you're asking for is, is what it's going to cost. And they'll either step up to the plate and pony up or not. Either way, you're better off. Amen. And if you have any questions about, you know, the strategy or anything, feel free to tweet at us. You can also join our Discord and have a discussion. You can just reach out to, to me or either one of us for a link there. But I think that's good for the for the I think that's good for the strategy part, Pete. Should we move on to some players to talk about? Yeah, yeah. The like you were saying off the top, the Dauber Prospects midseason guide was just released, and you and I and a bunch of the Dauber Prospects managing editors and, and Dauber hockey writers co- contributed this year. Dauber's got some health issues, so Ian Gooding took the reins on this one with with Mario, and uh, it looks just as good as all the other editions and iterations of this guide. So it's really must have if you're listening to this and you're digging what we're putting down, then you should get the the guide from Dauber, Dauber Hockey for the midseason report. So let's talk about some of the guys we contributed to. You you did a couple of teams. Every NHL team has prospects who are close. So this is guys who have a chance of actually playing in this this season that we're in now. So prospects being promoted from, you know, signing their entry-level contract out of NCAA when the season finishes or, or guys coming from Europe or players in the American Hockey League that are playing very well and could get recalled any minute now or CHL players who could have a cup of coffee at the end of the season, any of those potential scenarios. And then the players that I talked about, I did two articles for the, the report. I did stock risers and fallers from the draft that we just went to in Nashville. So the 2023 draft, so top 10 risers and top 10 fallers. But we're going to talk about a couple of players for the upcoming draft. So if you're in a, a, a win mode now, some of the players that Victor's going to talk about will be the, the assets that you might be more interested in. And if you're in a win later mode, then, you know, again, Victor's list will still hold some value to you because these are prospects who are very close and if your win cycle is maybe hopefully next year but not this year then these are some players who will be right around the corner for you and then the players that i'm going to talk about are if you're like a long-term rebuild through the draft kind of strategy so let's get started with some of the guys you talked about victor uh who's up first yeah for sure good rundown on that and so yes i did write about the ducks sharks kings red wings and coyotes so i'm not going to go over every single one from each one of those teams that would take a really long time and i echo what pete said get the guide it's great i get it automatically delivered to me because i just sign up for the whole pack every year so it was already waiting when it came out first guy i'm going to talk about is thomas bordalo and he is a sharks prospect obviously if people didn't remember he was taken second round back in 2020 and he's definitely one of the the top end guys there. He has, you know, he, he probably should have been broken through already. But each of the last few seasons, he's gotten eight, eight, and now six NHL games. And I have a feeling there's going to be some spots open up for him right now. But what the Sharks did in the offseason, they just signed a bunch of NHL players. So they didn't have a whole lot of space for him. So he hasn't really had much of an opportunity, but he's been doing really well in the AHL. Last season, he had 41 points in 65 games. This season, he's up to 15 and 22. And this Barracuda team is, is really not very good. So the fact that he's putting up a lot of points is really, you know, good. You know, I think extra impressive considering the talent around him. He, if you look at Mason Black's PNHLE chart, he kind of peaked in his draft plus one season at Michigan with a 71 point top line potential, but he's kind of hovered around a second line 
potential ever since. And I think that's the hope the Sharks have is that he could be a 2C, maybe a 2 or 3C, but ideally a 2C. And, you know, I'm, I wrote in there that he's a, you know, top six, two way forward. I think in, in his, in his ideal situation, he's kind of a 20 goal, 40 point 60, you know, maybe 60 to 70 point guy in that range. One thing about him is that he is huge for faceoffs. He's really, really good faceoff guy. So even if he ends up playing more of a win, you want Bordalo because especially on an ELC and he's giving you that many faceoff wins. I mean, he was, he's getting like, 10 to 15 faceoff wins a game. That's that's huge. Like he's taking a lot of them. So he will probably translate that. He's been good at every level when he as in terms of faceoffs. And he's not too bad in terms of the other categories too. Hits hits and blocks. Um but the assists are really what Thomas Bordalo is all about and I think that there's going to be an opportunity for him relatively soon. So next year will probably be full time, although we kind of thought that last year and then the Sharks just added a whole bunch of players and didn't really have any space for him, but he he's basically on the cusp. He's, he's NHL ready. It's just a matter of the sharks making space for him. So I like him. I pulled up a hockey prospecting comp. Now he's not the same in terms of like Anthony Mantha is definitely a winger and Bortolo, I think is a center, but I think in terms of points and, and what you can expect as a producer, possibly sometimes frustrating like Mantha is, I think that's probably a good comp. That's kind of the one that came out best for him, but, what are your thoughts on Bordalo there, Pete? I like him a lot, actually. I'm a little bit higher on him than I than a lot of the reports I've seen on him. And that stems from watching him from when he played at, at Michigan. And I really like what I saw there. And I'm with you. I'm in the camp where I thought that we'd be getting a, a better look at him in the NHL this season. Uh, but the uh, I think the Sharks made a good call in deciding to sign a bunch of basically roster placeholders for this season, no sense in throwing your prospects into a season where you're 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 going you're tanking you're going for the draft. That's what San Jose is doing. And then if you look at their their team page on Cap Friendly, almost all their forwards are on expiring contracts, and there's a lot of red UFAs there. Kevin Levant, Mike Huffman, Anthony Declare, Alexander Barabanov, Justin Bailey, and Ryan Carpenter are all unrestricted free agents. And Kunin and Zadina are restricted free agents. Zadina might not be back. I don't know what you think about that. But then you scroll down and you look at their at their prospects roster. And, you know, I think he's the the clear cut leader there of, of potential prospects that could be making the jump to the NHL next season. So I really like his opportunity going into next year and i think we're going to get a, a preview for him by the end of this season this is very likely that san jose is a, is a seller at the trade deadline and two or three of these forwards might be gone by the time the season ends which could open up a roster spot for for Bordalo to have an audition at the end of the season so i really like his upside he's a player that i've liked for a long time and that's a really interesting point you made about the face-off wins if you're if you're in a multi-cat league that counts face-off wins as a category that's kind of huge especially if he gets face-off wins and has dual positional eligibility and put him on your wing and get four or 500 face-off wins from the, from the right wing. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned Zadina. I don't think he's an NHL player, frankly. I, I don't think that the Sharks will resign him and I'm not even sure that he'll get another contract. He has been very bad. And I don't think that's just the Sharks. Like he just, I don't think he's that good. And I think he might end up going to, back to playing check here or something or if he is on a roster i don't think he's going to do much but yeah no i i agree with that and and if the sharks don't fire sell and get rid of all these guys that's going to be a massive uh, failure because they absolutely should do that they should get as much draft capital and assets as they can and and let the kids play for you know 10 to 20 games at the end of the season or whatever and and not subject them to the entire entirety of the season that was right. frustrating and they're just quite frankly painful to watch right. <laughs> sorry about I that i didn't watch the game this morning because i had better things to do they they're playing in buffalo as we're recording this so i'll move on to my next guy then brant clark and oh my brant clark is a good one he <laughs> he's been pretty awesome he, you know he was taken eighth overall back in 2021 and you know i think he's done pretty much nothing but reinforce his awesomeness since then I think that, you know, last year was a little weird 
because he played for so many different teams. He played nine games with LA, then he played for the Ontario Reign, and then he went back to Barry and played amazingly in the OHL and, and in the playoffs. I mean, he was almost two points per game in the playoffs, played at the World Juniors for Canada. I think that was the year Canada won, if I'm not mistaken, one of the years. Um, they win so... in pretty much every year, except for this. <laughs> yeah. Not every year, but yeah, they, they definitely <laughs> won that. That was a that was a really that was a really fun game to watch. And then this year he's been almost exclusively with the rain, though, which I think is kind of good because last year bouncing around was re- I think was kind of hard on him. You know, I think he obviously excelled once he settled down into Barry, but before then, kind of bouncing around was a little bit tough, and and he didn't look all that comfortable in any of the other stints aside from the World Juniors. So I think being in the AHL for most of the season has been really good for him. He was allowed to get all the power play time and, and really good minutes. And he was driving play really well, in addition to the 32 points in 30 games. So over point per game in the AHL for a 20-year-old is phenomenal. He's about to turn 21. He's in a, about a month from now. Three weeks from now, he's going to turn 21. But he is great. And he is getting a little bit of an opportunity recently with the Kings. But the thing is that he's not going to get as much when... Drew Doughty is still around. They still trot him out there on the power play, even though I don't think he's really the best power play quarterback, but there, there isn't always the opportunity for Clark. So that's the only real negative I would say is that he doesn't, he's not necessarily going to get all of the opportunity, but I hope that they, they do, you know, especially if Doughty gets injured or if they just want to give him a little bit of power play time, at least they're both righties, Doughty and Clark. And so they don't have to change the format of the, power play which i think is help not power play which is helpful um but he's he's amazing grant clark is going to be an absolute stud in this league i mean if you look at his pnhle chart he's just like skyrocketing up to superstar potential like 80 you know 80 90 point defenseman which i don't think he's really going to get that high but he has some pretty nice comps in that model the three comps are quinn hughes luke hughes and evan bouchard which are all you know, amazing. Well, we don't know necessarily about Luke, but we know that Quinn is and Bouchard is actually his best comp in the hockey prospecting model too. And yeah, it took Bouchard a minute to get to this point. And and I don't think that Clark is really like bad defensively, but he needs a little bit of adjustment time, just like Bouchard did before he can handle more responsibility. So I don't think the wait will be as long as Bouchard, but I think there might be a little bit until he's full, you know, full value. So there might be a couple of years here where you're waiting a little bit to have Brant Clark's full potential. It also kind of depends on what they do with Dowdy, but I think the sky's the limit. You know, he's pretty great for, he's he's pretty decent for, for peripheral coverage too, but the, the point ceiling is just sky high with Clark. So I have a feeling you might, you might be a decent fan of Clark's too, Pete. What do you think? Hard not to be. The guy's just dynamic for fantasy purposes. He's about as good as it gets. Two points a game in the OHL last year, one point per game pace in the American Hockey League this season as in his in his full rookie season. And you're right, he's he's promoted to and he's with the the Kings right now. If you look at their page on Cap Friendly, they don't have as much roster turnover coming up at his position this summer. Only Matt Roy is an unrestricted free agent and Jordan Spence is a restricted free agent. And I wouldn't be shocked if the Kings re-signed both of those players. However, I think I think Brand Clark is is going to just surpass people on the depth chart and play his way into a top pairing role as soon as training camp next season. You know, Drew Doughty is 34 years old. He's definitely on the back nine, even though he's got three more years on his contract after this. I think he's gonna give away over the course of the next season to season and a half of the number one position to, to Brant Clark. I think it's his job going forward as soon as next year. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty zealous on him. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I think the kid's a superstar. Yeah, definitely. Someone else who I think we can't wait for him to break through is the next guy I was going to talk about Simone Edvinson. Now I don't think the upside is, is quite as high here. We were just lavishing or, or keeping praise on for Clark. And I think he's definitely a tier or two above Edvinson, but I think Edvinson's ceiling is pretty high as well. And he was taken sixth overall in 2021. So earlier than Clark, which I think was a bit surprising for some, I think 
Clark had some some potential skating issues. And I don't know, maybe there's some attitude things too, but also Detroit taking a Swede ahead of maybe an OHLer isn't shouldn't be terribly surprising. They have a habit yeah. of doing that. So not really that surprising. But I think what is kind of a little bit interesting is that I mean he's he's basically been pretty NHL ready for the last couple of seasons. I mean, he's been playing in the SHL. He played in the SHL during you know, half during his draft season and, and the whole season after his draft season. And then the last two seasons, he's been basically excelling at the AHL level. Even last year, he was pretty great. This year, even better, I would say, although marginal. So, and he's gotten a couple games, but what the Red Wings did, you know, kind of like the Sharks, is that they went out and kind of filled up their blue line with with competent NHLers, even though it wasn't wasn't my I wasn't a huge fan of some of those additions, especially, you know, I mean, Gostas Bear, Hall, Sherratt and, you know, Petrie. It's kind of like, OK, you know, those are guys, but and they're they may be fine, although I have questions about some of them. But it, what it definitely did was limit Edmondson's ability to break into that lineup. And and Stevie Y even said he he wanted to make sure that the prospects earned it and weren't just given a spot. But I think he made it really hard, like overly hard for them to break in. Because I think if it weren't for all of that, or at least one of those signings, Evanson would be in the NHL already. But he's killing it down in the AHL, and, and hopefully we'll get a full-time look pretty soon. The problem is that Detroit's, you know, fairly competitive, so that's going to limit them. Same thing is true with with the Kings and and Clark. Not true with the Sharks, so a little bit more opportunity there. But Edmondson, the thing about Edmondson is that he has a really high peripheral floor. I mean, he's looking like an absolute peripheral monster in terms of the blocks especially but also he's been hitting a little less this year but still hits a fair amount and shoots a fair amount he's looking like somewhere between a first and second pairing potential kind of that you know 55-ish point guy at his at his peak and looking at hockey prospecting one of his main comps is Justin Falk and I think that's that's probably a pretty reasonable comparable especially with the strong peripheral floor but also with with Falk, he never really like commanded top power play time, but he would get it every now and then. And I think that's probably what Edmondson is going to do, especially now that there's ASB, there's Mo Sider, there's some other competition there. So I think Edmondson still has a pretty good shot at top power play, but it's not like it's destined to be his sort of like we think it is for Clark. So I really like Edmondson, especially for the peripheral floor. And there's pretty high upside for points too, if it all kind of breaks right. How do you feel about Simone? Well, I'm a big fan. I own him in one of my dynasty leagues and I watched him play live when Grand Rapids came through this neck of the woods in Belleville. And I liked what I saw. Kid looks pretty ready. He's big. He gets all over the ice so nicely. I think there's a similar scenario here, like you said, with Bortolo, where Detroit's not afraid to overripen him a little bit in the American Hockey League and, and make sure that that he prospers and, and matures and, and develops correctly and, and doesn't doesn't get too much too soon that he can ha- can't handle it i don't like how there's not a lot of roster opportunity opening up for him next year i'm looking at shane goss as the the best opportunity for him to replace who's an unrestricted free agent after this year the only other expiring contract is mo cider rfa of course he's coming back so you know Ben Sherratt, Justin Hole, those guys got two more years on their contract after this. Jake Wallman's been pretty great. Ole Mattis got and Jeff Petrie also have one more year to go. So he's going to have to to win a spot at training camp. He's not just going to inherit one and that's within his his capabilities of doing so. I think he's a competent enough player, more than competent enough player to usurp an established NHL player with a contract that's that's 3 to 4 times more than his contract. He's that good for fantasy purposes. I think you're right. I think his offensive upside, while good, is it's going to be a little bit limited beyond the top pairing. Like he's not going to be as good as Brant Clark is offensively, but I think he's going to play a lot of minutes, even though he's not like a top pairing guy that'll get the the first unit power play necessarily. He's just so influential in a positive way on the game every time he's on the ice because he's he's got such great mobility he's got such great size he's got such great vision and and puck handling and passing abilities that he distributes the puck very well and he just he just drives the play in possession and a lot of good things happen when he's on the ice if if you're a fan of the jersey the team 
he's playing for. So a lot to like there with with Edvinson. And I think he's very close. I'm a little surprised we haven't seen more NHL action from him than we have this season. Plus he got a handful of games, maybe two. Yeah, two games. But I wouldn't be surprised if if we, we get another look at him for at some point this season and then full time next year. Yeah, definitely. Every time I see him play, it's frustrating because, yeah, I think he's really good and he looks, I think, better than some of the other options. But those guys have contracts and have the pedigree playing in the league. So, yeah, if you're frustrated by that, you can just direct your frustration at Stevie Y. I'm sure he can take it. Light the lamp with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So the last guy is Dylan Gunther. And Gunther is such a beauty. I mean, this guy, he's he's a goal scorer. I think that's one reason why we really like him. 2021, ninth overall. A bunch of guys from 2021. Go figure. They're all kind of maturing right now. But yeah, he he's uh, Arizona draft pick and you know i think you know he was part of that uh, oil king team that was amazing that somehow didn't win the memorial cup um but they were amazing and he scored a ton and then he kind of came right into the nhl and we we're like whoa you know and he was pretty good half point per game and then he kind of uh, went back to the dub and, and got traded to seattle and this year i thought I, th- I think a lot of people i i kind of thought that oh he's gonna be you know, just with the NHL full time. But no, he's been mostly with Tucson in the AHL. And, you know, maybe that's good for him because, you know, if you didn't follow along what I, what I just said, he did not have AHL time last year. And I think that that's kind of important for his development. So he killed it. He had 28 points in 29 games. And then he's, he's basically been up for the last little while here. And he is looking pretty darn good. You know, I think that's the thing with Gunther too, is it what does he do away from the puck? And I think he's gotten a lot better at that, at, you know, working, playmaking, working away from the puck to get open and to be a, a good de- defensive presence. And his defensive game and his small sample size in the NHL has been actually really good and positive. So that's going to help him get more opportunity and the guy can just wire it. I mean, he can score in a lot of different ways. And so that's something that's obviously really exciting in terms of a prospect. You will like these, you like the goal scorers. Um, And I think he's got 40 goal potential at some point, you know, not like next year, probably, but a few years from now, I think he's a top line winger when, if it all breaks right. And looking at his PNHLE, it's, it's kind of, it was down a little bit last year just because he was kind of bouncing around a little bit and jumping straight to the NHL, which was tough. But it's back up to nearly a first-line potential right now based on his AHL time and his hockey prospecting. He looks like a couple of really strong... I mean, a few guys that haven't fully developed yet, like Quinn Byfield and Cole Perfetti, but I think one of his best comps is Sam Reinhardt. And obviously, we see what Sam Reinhardt's doing right now. I don't know that he'll be that hot, but I think he has the potential to be that. And so that's, that's pretty great. And, you know, I think a lot of people are or have been sour on the Coyotes for a while, but look at what they're doing now. You can't deny it. So they're they're a good team, you know, and it and it's unfortunately it's kind of the top line without him, but you know, maybe he can get a little bit more opportunity. But I think Dylan Gunther, you know, he he can he he all, all he needs is a little bit of opportunity and he can go on a goal run, you know. And so even the rest of the season he could be somewhat valuable, but next season and beyond, I think you definitely want your shares of him. And I, I think he can put up a lot of goals in this league. What do you think, Pete? Typically, I'm a little gun shy to be interested in acquiring Arizona players, especially Arizona prospects. They just don't have a very good track record. And I don't really like the development path that they've they've chosen for Gunther, playing him from junior to the NHL, back to junior to the American Hockey League, now back to the NHL, kind of bouncing around. I get it that he's he's a very good player and he, you know, he's maybe too good for junior and wasn't eligible to play in the American Hockey League last year. And so it was the NHL for a while. I understand all of those reasons, but I think it's I really like seeing a nice, consistent development path for players in terms of where they're playing. You play at a level until you're too good to play there and then you move up to the next one. And I guess the challenge, like I said, is he was too good for junior and, and not eligible for the American Hockey League, but not ready for the Amer- the National Hockey League. So what do you do? But despite all those 
concerns. Looks like he's persevering and developing into the player that we all hoped and thought that he could be, which is going to be a dynamic offensive player. So lots of like with this player. I, I would consider owning him in fantasy stock, even though he's an Arizona Coyote. So that's all the players that we had for, for Victor with guys who are close to the NHL. So now we're going to shift gear and we're going to talk a little bit about if you're on total tank mode and you're looking at draft entry, what does this year's draft crop look like if you're your position to have a lottery pick? So we'll start at the top and work our way down. And, and number one is no question, Macklin Celebrini. Anyone who watched the World Juniors must have been impressed. There's going to be no question who the first player selected in the 2024 draft will be. It's a consensus Macklin Celebrini. And the same can be said for what player will have the biggest fantasy impact as well. He's just that much better than the rest of the draft class. He really has no significant flaws in his game. He's got like an inspirational compete level where on both sides of the puck, he's he's got a motor. He's got NHL level skill with the puck and passing and shooting levels are great. His skating is above average with a really nice quick pop in his first step and a good breakaway speed too. And his ability to handle the puck and process well at breakaway speed on the rush is also NHL level and very impressive. He ties all of those toolbox skills together with an elite level hockey sense and a processing vision and pace. Pace is the key, I think, that really, I think, makes him NHL ready. He's dominated every league that he's joined as a rookie, the USHL, the NCAA. He was very impressive with Canada at the World Juniors Tournament as well. And I think the next step for him is to make the jump right into the NHL next year where he'll make an immediate impact. So he's your your no-brainer first overall pick. Did I, did I leave any any glowing reviews out that you wanted to add, Victor? Or did you want to throw some cold water on the Celebrini fire that I just lit? No, I no. He's amazing. There's, I think that we, I was having this discussion with somebody actually recently, and we were talking about him and Bedard. I know last show we were, there was a question of where would you put him in last year's draft? And I think we agreed right after Bedard. I do think that he, that, that Celebrini is at this level already a more complete two-way player than Bedard was. I think he is more two-way responsible, but Bedard has a better shot. And I think some of the offensive skills are, are kind of, you know, could go either way, but in terms of like the two-way play, Celebrini is better. So I think that might help him adapt even quicker in some ways than Bedard did. And obviously this is all going to depend on what team Celebrini goes to because he, you know, if he goes to like the Ducks, maybe they have a little bit more to work with and, you know, maybe some of the other lower teams, not as much. I mean, the Sharks, if they got him, they have a couple of decent NHLers or there's what Columbus, there's some other options. So it might depend a lot but i think that uh, his upside in terms of points is similar you know right now looking at looking at the hockey prospecting tool it's like he is by far you know he's he's a 99 percenter you know uh it's he 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 has the comps to all the superstars hall of famers like that's what he looks like right now and having just had you know a really high-end producer like um like bedard then i think it's easy and natural to compare him I think that he's he's his offensive skills are a little bit more dynamic in terms of his playmaking. And I think that he he can leverage a lot of other skills, not that Bedard can't, but I think he can he can impact the game in just so many ways. I think that's what's really impressive about Celebrini and his motor is just fantastic. He also doesn't have the the size issues, you know, in terms of I mean, he's only six foot, but he's he's just really a complete player. And here we go again with a really late birthday too, because not only is he this good, but he's a June birthday. I mean, a really young 17 year old in his draft season and he's just dominating. It's, it's really impressive. So yeah, if you have a number one pick or a first an early first round pick, this is like going to transform the NHL franchise that gets him. And it's going to transform your fantasy team. Like he is just that good. He's going to be incredible. You want any lotto ticket you can get to get, He's so hot right now. Yeah, he's basically got the equivalence of NCAA exceptional status being 17 years old and and playing in the NCAA and doing as well as he as he is. All right, so let's say that you you lost the draft lottery and you got the second overall pick. How sad are you? Well, now you're looking at Russian right winger Ivan Demidov. He's the only real competition from this draft class, in my opinion. 
for the top pick in either the NHL or a fantasy draft from 24 class. The super skilled Russian, he's like arguably the best skills and hands in this draft class. He also defends very well and has adequate size. You know, he's 5'11", 168, but hopefully he puts a little mass on to that frame. 5'11's not so bad, but he's got to bulk up a little. He missed some time due to injury this season, but despite that, he's on pace for 48 points in 32 games playing in the MHL over in Russia. He's getting big minutes in that league, so developing nicely, getting lots of power play time. Don't let the Russian factor scare you off on this one. Make no mistake, if you get second overall, I think the guy you want is Demidov. Agree or disagree? It's still early, so minds can change a little bit, but I would have to agree with you right now. I don't, in terms of the forwards, I think that offensive upside, he's the only one that even comes close to Celebrini. There are other players that, I mean, I think he might go later, just like Mitchkoff did, because NHL teams might value other NHL translatable skills. But in terms of your fantasy draft, absolutely. I think you, you have to be looking at Demidov, what he's doing. And his equivalencies are are really special right now. The hands, the offensive ability. He's just, he's, he's, he's looking pretty incredible. And yeah, the small frame might be a little bit concerning and you have, you know, injury and he's already had that. And he is doing most of this at the MHL level. He hasn't done as much at the KHL level, but you know, it's not unusual for, for the team, for the KHL team to not give too much opportunity. We've seen this before. He is a ska St. Petersburg prospect and so they are famously reluctant to give them too much opportunity so you can't hold that against them but and and I do think the MHL is a little bit of a hard league to scout just because the the quality of the talent is very diverse but I think you can't deny the skill if everything hits right Demidoff could absolutely be um, amazing for your fantasy team I like the fact that he's in the MHL over the KHL I'd rather have an 18 year old prospect dominating and playing 20 plus minutes a game, getting over a point a game pace, building up his confidence, expanding on his, his skill abilities, then playing in the pro league and getting four or less minutes a night, not playing regularly and just practicing with the pro level players. I'd much rather have him actual play. Yeah. So keeping in mind, this is, this is a fantasy ranking, not not an NHL mock draft or an NHL ranking. So this is really relevant if you're if you're tanking. And every year on Dauber Prospects as well, I get a consensus group of of writers, both internally and externally with Dauber Prospects. And we do a, a top 32 fantasy ranking of, of the upcoming draft. So that's something that'll be coming out soon, probably shortly after the Top Prospects game later on this month. Spoiler alert, we're going to do a, an episode on the Top Prospects game coming up in a couple weeks here soon as well. Back to my list here. So the third overall prospect coming up in the 24 draft, if you uh, if you fall down from first to second to third, is Cole Iserman, left winger, playing on the national team. He is the best shooter and goal scorer in this class easily. So overall, best player, best best impact is, is Celebrini. The most skilled player, I think, is Demidov. And I think the best shooter is Iserman. That's why these guys are one, two, three. American winger, he is a pure sniper. He's got an NHL quality shot in terms of release power and accuracy already. Makes his living sniping on the power play with shades of Alex Ovechkin from the sidewall there. What will potentially keep him out of a top five spot in the draft is his deficiencies, specifically skating and his defensive game. These are very correctable flaws in his game that he has plenty of time to improve in order to be a prolific NHL player. Even if he never becomes a really solid defensive player or skater, as long as he becomes like average, he still offers elite fantasy value with his offensive contributions. So this is a player who might take a little bit more time as well and a little bit less certain of an upside, but I really like the goal scoring and fantasy potential with Iserman. I'm I'm not sure I would say that He's boom or bust, but he's definitely got boom potential or pretty good instead of bust. So Cole Iserman, and for anyone who hasn't 
kind of got a lot of information on him. His last name, it sounds like Steve Eiserman's last name, but it's he's not related at all. It's not even spelt the same. It's E-I-S-E-R-M-A-N. What's your thoughts on Eiserman, Victor? Yeah, I mean, I have cooled on him a little bit just because of some of the things that you mentioned. His his play away from the puck still leaves a lot to be desired. And that will probably see his stock on draft day fall a little bit. But as you said, these things can be corrected. And I would expect, yeah, I think he's already putting a lot of work into this. You can't deny the shot and you can't deny the scoring ability. What what I really like is that we already saw this last year. He was 16 years old and on that U18 USA World Junior team and scored some pretty important goals. I believe it was even the the game-winning goal for the gold medal. I think that was Ryan Leonard that passed him the puck and he put it in, if I remember correctly. But anyways, he was part of that team and he he played a he played a significant role. I mean, he had nine goals and two assists in seven games. That was that was pretty fantastic. So there's no question he can score. He already has 30 goals in 30 games this season. I mean, he's he's an incredible talent. So you can't deny that. And I do think that a lot of his goals are translatable. You see where he's scoring from, how he's scoring them. I don't think these are all just like USHO goals that aren't going to translate. But it is a little concerned, just like, what does he do away from the puck? I mean, we've seen some other guys like this sort of struggle to translate. You know, we've seen Arthur Kaliev, we've seen Alex Holtz, you know, so I think he's better than those guys. But if he isn't doing as much away from the puck, he's going to have a hard time getting enough time on ice to make it super rewarding. But I still think he's great and he has a lot of time to figure this out. He's committed to Boston University for next year. so. That'll be fun to see with, well, I don't know if Hudson will still be there, but he will make that transition. He's also really, really young. He's an August 29th birthday, so basically just a couple weeks away from the cutoff for being eligible for the following draft. So you have to keep that in mind, too. He has a lot of runway still to develop as a very young 17-year-old. So I like him. I think when, you know, when, when we were talking about this like nine, ten months ago, we were talking about how maybe Iserman could challenge Celebrini for the top spot. I think that ship has definitely sailed. I think there's no question that Celebrini is in a, in a class of his own, but that doesn't mean that Iserman is not still a very good prospect. So yeah, I, I like him. I'm just a little worried about the all-around projection, but I agree with you in terms of the goal scoring. You you have to like what you see. Yeah, lots changed in the perception of him in the last year. But you know what? I wouldn't rule out the possibility that in in five years' time, when we look back in hindsight, the best player taken in this draft is Cole Eiserman. He could have that kind of offensive upside and be scoring, you know, 50, 60 goals on a regular clip in the NHL. So the rest of this draft class, an interesting thing on the, my top four players for fantasy ranking is this is known as a defense-rich draft there's a lot of really good premium defensemen available and if evan were on with this he'd be quick to point out that i hate defense and i didn't list any of them in my top four and in a draft that's listed as a defense rich draft but i couldn't in good conscience put in a defenseman over any of my top four forwards in celebrini damadov eiserman and my number four ranked guy hayden lidstrom so lidstrom gets in here now this ranking was for for Goals and assists, fantasy league only. But despite that, I still put Lidstrom in in the top four. And if you're in a bangers league that counts peripheral stats, then then he's in here with a lock, and he might even move up a position or or two. He's more attractive in leagues with multi-cat scoring, but even just points alone, he ranks high. So he's a he's a Canadian. The BC native turns 18 in February, and he already stands six foot four, 216 pounds. And unlike some of the larger players recently, guys like Daniel Boot, who could take better advantage of their size, Lidstrom's not shy to throw his weight around. You know, it's frustrating. You got guys like Soderblom or Boot, right? And they're they're so big, and you're like, you could be more, way more dominant if you just threw some elbows and were a little bit more jerk story. Kate Lidstrom does that. He's got the size, and he knows how to use it. I really like that. The guy can hit like a like a hammer. For purposes of of the article that I wrote, though, we're only talking about points-only fantasy format, and Lidstrom still stands out here. He's got 27 goals and 46 points in his first 32 games. That's close to a goal 
per game pace, really. And he's playing with the Medicine Hat Tigers in the WHL. He's, he's doesn't really have any huge holes in his games. He's got some really nice skating stride. He gets around the ice very well. His compete level is good. He's got a, a he displays good hockey sense. I'm not really seeing any real red flags here that would make you say, yeah, he's got some skill and he's got some size, but he's got this big wart. I don't see any big warts. I mean, there's some things that could be better, sure, but I mean, he's he's an 18 year old kid developing and and at a pretty quick clip too. He's trending up like a rocket. So I'm a really big fan of Lindstrom and he makes my top four for sure. Bigger players can take a little bit longer to develop. So keep that in mind. And that this is, that's the, my only real big concern with him from, from a fantasy scouting perspective is if I drafted Lindstrom and I invested a fourth overall pick in him, I gotta be prepared to wait two more years before he makes it to the NHL. And then, you know, the breakout threshold for larger players can, can take a couple of seasons, like the 400 game range, I think, is where Dauber has larger players and their breakout threshold. So it's the long game with this player, probably. But the payoff looks really, really, really good. What's your thoughts on Lindstrom here, Victor? Yeah, I'm not surprised at all that you didn't put any defensemen on here, but we will. I'm sure talk about them at some point. And yeah, I think one of these things is not like the other. Caden Lindstrom is huge. The other guys we talked about are, you know, average to maybe slightly undersized. And I yeah. also agree with you. Like he, he's really good at using his size. He leverages it in a lot of, not, not necessarily like just reckless ways either. It's like he's really good at, at protecting the puck, using his long reach, you know, making, uh, drawing attention to him and setting up, other other players so he has a lot of really excellent skills and i just looked it up because i was curious so he's he's actually pretty decent for blocks like close to um uh, a block every other game but he's got two hits per game in the whl and four shots so that's some pretty good some pretty good peripheral coverage and not to mention he's taking 20 faceoffs a night, so uh, winning half of them. So that's pretty good too. He could he could really fill out. I mean, I think and and these kind of guys always go early in the actual NHL draft. So I think there's a really good chance that Lindstrom is top five. You know, I think at the worst, maybe even top three, just because he's a center, he's big, he's skilled, he pretty much checks all the boxes, and NHL teams love that. So pretty good chance he maybe goes earlier even than. And I would say his fantasy stock is, is maybe worth like he, he I think there's a pretty good chance he goes ahead of Iserman. I mean, we'll have to see. But he still has some pretty strong offensive skills. I think if if you were going to knock anything on him, it's maybe some of the dynamic puck handling abilities, but it's still pretty darn good. So there really isn't too much to negative to say uh, he is doing really well in the dub. And, you know, right now, 46 points, 32 games for Medicine Hat. Right now he's currently injured, but I don't know how long that's going to be. Hopefully, oh, I just read that. He's going to be, he just had a little minor surgery, but he'll be out for a few weeks and then he'll be back, certainly for the playoffs and for the U18s, he should be available. So he should be able to make a strong case still for his draft stock. But yeah, I really like him. I think maybe the offensive upside isn't quite as high as these other guys, but I still think in terms of, and and I think this matters for a lot of people too, in terms of his NHLer probability, like it's really high. Like he is, he looks like a no doubt NHLer. Like he's going to play in the league. Is he going to be a top line center or like a third line center or second line center is really the only question. But I mean, he's going to play and he's going to play a lot of games. So he's got time to figure it out. Like you said, maybe you hold him for a little bit longer. I mean, I'm someone in a few leagues that has held Quinn Byfield forever and it's finally paying off. Uh, it might be that kind of weight, you know, big dudes do take a lot, a little bit longer. So it also kind of depends on the team, obviously, that where he goes. Right. You might have the opportunity sooner than later. But I really like Caden Lindstrom. You may not have as much a chance to take him just because he might go so early in the NHL draft is the only thing to, to think about. But certainly if you count peripherals and faceoff wins, you're even more excited. But if you don't, you might move him down your board just a little bit because maybe his offensive upside isn't quite as high. All right. Well, that's pretty much all the time we've got for... Tonight's episode. Hopefully, you're uh, 
gleaning some valuable information out of tonight's podcast and you can help you with your tank or it can help you with your pursuit of a championship and uh we'll have some some more episodes coming up with some really good information but for that's it for episode 41 thanks for listening to dauber prospects report feedback on the show you can chat with us or follow us on twitter or x at dpr underscore show at victor nuno 12 at farling and sabrin 91 and follow hockey pod net cool shows there you should check out subscribe to us on itunes and spotify if you don't already and if you haven't already go ahead drop the five stars on us and tell us how great we are we need the ego boost for now that's about all we got keep your stick on the ice and we'll see you in the rink let's do that hockey (laughs) 